0: Would you pray with me? Father, as we sang earlier, Lord of heaven and earth, there are so many times I can just see clearly in my own life where I make the confession, Lord of heaven and earth, and I continue to just do my own thing as though I'm the Lord of myself. And Father, I pray that this morning, in this passage out of Jonah, that we would see you as Lord of heaven and earth. And Lord, I pray that you would expose to us new ways to submit to you, that we have not or are willfully not doing so now. God, would you be at work in our hearts? And would the fruit of that be what the Spirit gives us in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? And may it also be what you desired Jonah to do in the first place, where we would tell people about the holy God who died on the cross for their sins so they can be forgiven. That we would tell people about a God who is full of grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, due in large part to my older sister, my parents would from time to time need a break of sorts, and so they'd get a babysitter. And occasionally... While that babysitter would be there, my older sister's younger brother would act up, <laughs> and do his own thing, and get in trouble with the babysitter, which would inevitably lead to the babysitter telling me, <clears throat> sorry, I mean my older sister's younger brother, <laughs> that his parents would be brought up to speed on the situation and that they would get to deal with it. This would lead to the greater inevitability of my parents' learning what had been done and the impending punishment. There is a special kind of dread that comes knowing that you've done something wrong and that you're about to be on the business end of justice. That dread is exactly where we find Jonah. He's somewhere in the Mediterranean Sea, in a boat, in a storm. And he has been woken up by a captain who's used the same word as God to call him to ministry in the first place. Arise. And he knows now that this storm, it's about him. And he is, about, he is coming face to face with the consequences of his sin and disoriented from his sleep, from the motion of the boat and the storm. Jonah arrives at the deck of the boat and the scene is chaos. as guys are rowing. Guys are crying out to their gods. They are pitching cargo overboard to try and lessen the weight of the ship. And doing whatever else it is that panicked mariners do. And then the conversation starts where Jonah realizes that he is in the face of overwhelming guilt. Let's read this conversation. We're just going to read verses 7 through 10 right now. We'll get to the rest. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. I'm not questioning the judgment of the captain of this ship, but if someone comes up to me and says, "Can I get a ride on your boat? I'm running away from God," I'm going to be like, "I don't think so." That's we're, we're we're booked solid at that point. In the face of overwhelming guilt, God's light exposes our darkness, and Jonah had darkness to be exposed. And it's exposed in a few ways. It's exposed, first of all, by these lots. As they cast lots, they're trying. This is kind of a superstitious way of like, well, let's see where the universe leads. Well, the lots that day were not guided by the universe, but guided by the maker of the universe. God's sovereignty was not just in the storm that stopped the boat from going an inch further. God's sovereignty was not just in the captain saying, Arise, to call to mind for Jonah when God had said, Arise and go to Nineveh. God's sovereignty was also in the lots. This was not random. For Jonah, this just confirmed what he already knew to be true. That he was the cause of this storm. That his rebellion and running from God, his refusal... To take a message to Gentiles, to Ninevites, to Assyrians, his refusal to go to these people because in his mind they shouldn't get a chance to hear the word of God is what brought this. And so the sailors, they want to know everything they can about Jonah, so they start an interrogation. Tell us on whose account this evil has come. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? And what is your country? And who are your and what people are you? The way Jonah answers here is pretty telling. Because he doesn't answer in the order they gave. He starts with their last question. He starts with their question about nationality. He goes, Well, I'm a Hebrew. Jonah tips the cards of his identity by giving his nationality first, even when it's the last part of their question, that his geopolitical identity is first and foremost, and his theological is second. And this could explain why he was so quick to flee from Nineveh, why he distanced himself from the sailors, because he he didn't want to be by the Ninevites, and he didn't want to be by these pagan sailors. He just went down as far as he could in the boat. I'm going to be away from them. I am different from them. He isn't like anyone else mentioned in the book so far. He is the lone Jew, the lone Hebrew, and he's separated themselves. And it could be, you know, and then he brings in his theology. Then he says, and I fear the Lord God of heaven. And this this mixture of, of national identity and religious identity is pretty common throughout the world. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of global workers for the gospel encounter this when they go to Japan, for instance, and they form a friendship, and that friendship goes to where the, the worker is hopeful, and it goes to evangelism, and they bring in Jesus, and the person says, well, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, that's, that's, I see the truth in that, but I'm Japanese, and to be Japanese is to be Buddhist, Or I'm Indian, and to be an Indian is to be Hindu. Or I'm from the Middle East or North Africa, and to be so is to be Muslim. When our national identity mixes with our theology, it gets real dangerous. And there's, there's an identity here. You know, Jonah, he goes, like, he, he goes first to his Hebrew identity and then to, I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. He appeals to Proverbs 1.7, and this would be an appropriate way to describe salvation for a first, uh, a first covenant believer, even for us. I fear God, fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it was incomplete, lacking both love and trust, especially from Jonah's perspective at this time. He doesn't include his occupation. He doesn't say, I'm a prophet of the living God who happens to be Hebrew. He says, I'm a Hebrew, I fear God. And he leaves prophet out of it. And it could be that Jonah no longer thought himself as employed. He no longer thinks of himself as a prophet. He may only think of God in terms of fear without the love and trust, making it a dreadful fear of God as opposed to a reverent or worshipful obedience to God. Jonah's off-center identity issues pave the way for his disobedience as he's full of pride, stubbornness, and prejudice. Tim Keller, whose name you'll hear a few times today, I'm not really sorry for that. Uh, His book on Jonah has been very helpful for me. Keller writes this, shallow Christian identities explain why professing Christians can be racist and greedy materialists, addicted to beauty and pleasure, or filled with anxiety and prone to overwork, because it's not Christ's love, but the world's power, approval, comfort, and control that are the real roots of our self-identity. These identity issues are often repeated by believers whose core identity is geography or relationship or career tied to our sexuality as opposed to being a new creation who has died and been raised with Christ, who is forgiven of their sins, who is a city on a hill and the salt of the earth and who is a sojourner on their way home. And it is vitally important that we as believers know who we are and that we know whose we are. That our identity is one of eternity and not of a nation that is dust on the scales of God. Jonah's confession of God's character and nature is a shorthanded explanation that Jonah gives that only his God could do this. Jonah, knowing who God is, knowing God's power, knowing that God is the creator of all things, must have come up on the boat, saw everyone crying out to their own gods, and just thought vanity. I don't know who they think their gods are, but only my God can do this. Jonah knew that and his explanation that he is the, the Lord of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. He is creator of everything you see. My God has the authority to make this storm. And his overwhelming guilt Becomes apparent not just to Jonah, which it has been. But it becomes apparent to the sailors. What have you done? This is not a, oh, and what did you do to make this God mad? It was, why have you involved us in your guilt? Type question. Because he didn't just involve them in His guilt, but more specifically, he involved them with the inescapable consequences of his guilt. Jonah is in the face of overwhelming guilt and inescapable consequences because as Jonah would call him the Lord God of heaven, the sovereign Lord God of heaven deals with sin. Let's read verses 11 to 16 here. Then they said, What shall we do to you? that the sea may quiet down for us, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord Exceedingly, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows. God is holy, God is omnipresent, God is omnipotent. We cannot hide from God or outrun Him, He always finds us, He always catches us. But it doesn't stop us from trying. In a lot of ways, maybe we wait for the consequences of our sin to expire. Well, if I if I just get if I can just put a couple years between me and this action, it'll be good. We try to justify it, or we pretend that it never happened at all. None of that works. You will reap what you sow. God will not be mocked. God always finds His children and He brings correction because He is a loving Father. And He brings the consequences in order to realign our hearts with His or to better align our hearts with His that we need to see that sin is will never work out for us. And so it's to to create in us, as we love Him more, a greater desire to not sin. A greater desire to walk in line with Him. God's wrath over Jonah's rebellion and power directs the sea. And it's just, the, the sailors try to get him out of this. And the sea will not let Jonah out of this. God is going to get Jonah to the place God desires. And the sailors, they try to make it to dry land and it gets worse. I imagine this scene where the sailors, they they try to go to dry land over here and the wind comes from this way. No matter which way they try and go, the wind just blows against them. It's a swirling wind keeping them in one spot, unable to get away. And it's a severe storm. And I always wonder when I read this, why didn't Jonah just go, hey guys, it's my fault. It's it's been a great pleasure sailing with you and just jump over the side on his own. Why does Jonah make them throw him in? Why doesn't he say, this is my sin that did this. It's my rebellion against God, and so I'm going to face the consequences. Jonah makes these poor sailors throw him in. Jonah is afraid to face God's wrath. Do you ever feel this way? Do you ever see a consequence for your actions just hanging out there? And I just it just paralyzes you. It just paralyzes you. Have you where you're unable, to face God, but knowing you have to. Confronted with sin in our lives can feel like this raging sea, and we know we have to go in, and we know we have to confess to our sin, because it's the only option. And it's really scary too. And for a lot of us in this room, we've had that experience, And we've gotten to the point where we've confessed that sin and we would tell you of the great faithfulness of God, the great mercy and grace of God, the freedom that, that is experienced in the lives of believers who have confessed their sin and received God's forgiveness, the great joy that accompanies that. Jonah, yet again, does not trust the goodness of God. All he sees is the storm. All he sees is the raging. All he sees is certain doom. And he cannot fathom the words that James writes, that the confession of sins leads to healing. Confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. Oh, that we would stop trying to avoid God. Maybe God, in some very obvious ways, is making himself abundantly clear to you. Something that needs to be owned up. And maybe you're just wanting to run out of this room because you're tired of feeling it. If you need help getting there, Jonah couldn't get there on his own. If you need help getting there, we want to help you get there. Know that God is good and has your good in mind and so they the sailors they pick up Jonah and they throw him in and what a shock to them it worked the worst storm of our lives is over it worked and the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered sacrifices and made vows Keller says this, they made their vows after the storm had passed. That indicates that they were not seeking God for what He could do for them, but simply for the greatness of who He is in Himself. That is the beginning of true faith. Oh, that we would seek God for His greatness and not our own benefit. I don't know if you've picked up on it, but there are some just really ripe parallels between Jonah and Jesus in this first chapter. You think of, uh, they're in a boat, they're sleeping in a boat when a big storm comes up. At the end of it, the storm is calmed. They both, Jesus draws a comparison to the book of Jonah, that as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so he would be in the ground for three days. And whenever a comparison like this is drawn in the Old Testament, we say that Jesus is the greater. He's the greater Moses. He's the greater Abraham. He's the greater David. He is certainly the greater Jonah. Because of all the similarities, there are a lot of differences, particularly this, that Jonah made them throw him in, and Jesus lays himself down for us. I think this is my last keller quote so bear with me as we saw previously jonah's whole problem was that the same of ours a conviction that if we fully surrender to god he will not be committed to our good and joy but there is but here is the ultimate proof that this is deeply rooted that this deeply rooted belief is a lie A God who substitutes Himself for us and suffers so that we may go free is a God you can trust. I'm going to read that last part again. A God who substitutes Himself for us and suffers so that you may go free is a God you can trust. The cross gives us confidence in following the Lord, whether it is to a mission field or a neighbor's house, a phone call to a family member, or facing our own sin with God, that we can trust Him. Is in the face of overwhelming guilt and inescapable consequences, God's surprising mercy has the final word. The thing about God's character and nature that Jonah didn't apply to himself is that the Lord God of heaven is rich in mercy. Austin had us read from Ephesians earlier, in Ephesians 2, or is where he read to us from. And in Ephesians 1, it says that God lavishes on us the riches of His grace and mercy. As we approach God as it relates to our failures in whatever area, whether that's uh, marriage or parenting, justice, materialism, evangelism, we approach a generous God who lavishes us with mercy. He is not just the God of the storm, Who called Jonah to justice, but he's the God of the fish that mercifully saved Jonah from his peril at the sea. Because Jonah gets cast in, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. For the first time in this book, Jonah is exactly where God wants him to be. He's in God's mercy. But God's mercy is unexpected. We don't get to dictate the form that God's mercy will take in our lives. Of all the ways God could have saved Jonah, this wasn't just the funniest. But it was also purposeful. God intentionally had a fish assigned to this task. And I don't think from Jonah's perspective that it initially felt like mercy. God's mercy is not to be confused with a chaise lounge. It's not very comfortable most of the time. It leads us to really good places. And sometimes God's mercy is really comfortable and good. But if we only look for God's mercy in terms of our comfort and what we immediately, from our perspective, think of as good, I think we'll miss His mercy a lot. Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights, and we don't know exactly at what point in that time that Jonah prayed the prayer that we have in chapter 2. I think it was towards the end of that time. I think it took a while. There may have been moments, and I think there most certainly were moments in that fish where Jonah continued to doubt God's goodness. God, why couldn't you have let me drown over the course of a few minutes or several minutes instead of having this slow, miserable, drawn-out death in the belly of Billy Bass here? This was mercy, and it was uncomfortable. It was not the mercy that Jonah or I or you would have chosen God's mercy is not always pleasant at the time. Sometimes it's quite unpleasant, but it is infinitely better than the cost of our sin. And his mercy, while uncomfortable, is effective and reliable. God could have delivered Jonah from the sea in a whole host of ways. The storm could have calmed, and another boat heading to the nearest port to Nineveh could have been coming by and picked him up and taken him there. There's cargo floating in the sea. He could have been adrift on that for a while and washed up on shore. There's all kinds of ways God could have saved him, but he brought a fish. God's mercy is not random or accidental. It accomplishes God's will. And the form of his mercy can be unpredictable The form of his mercy can be unpredictable, it can lack comfort, it can be scary as anything else, but it is good and it accomplishes its work. You can trust God's mercy. This is the mercy of a God who lays himself down for us. And so I want to I want to do what I did last week, and I just want to close with some questions. Are you hesitant to repent of a particular sin? Is there something you're just holding on to? I don't want to deal with that one. I'm not going to deal with that one. Are you trying to dictate the form of God's mercy will take? The sailors in Jonah tried that by getting to land, but God had a plan. So are you trying to tell God, "I'll, I'll, I'll confess my sin, but this is what you have to do. We don't get to do that. Do you trust that God has your good in mind? Will you submit yourself to that and quit trying to control? God's love is steadfast, He is worthy of your trust. One of the hard things about a walk with God is we don't know everything, and we won't know everything. That's where faith comes in. I think of a, of a quote from C.S. Lewis when he was talking about his conversion. I'm, I'm, get, I'm not going to get this word for word. But in talking about his conversion, he said, I had so many questions. And, I, and it came to a point for C.S. Lewis where he had a lot of questions that still weren't answered. But he said, enough of my questions have been answered to know that there's answers to the rest of them. And so I'll believe. Maybe you just need to be at a similar place. God, I I don't know everything about your mercy, but I know enough of it that I'm just going to trust you in this. Would you pray as a praise team comes up? Heavenly Father, you are so good. You have given us so much. You gave us Your Son. And God, we, I pray that You would do the work in us, that we would walk fully with You. Not trying to control or dictate the terms of our salvation, but walk fully with You as the Lord of heaven and earth who made us His own.